This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Our largest attention should be paid to Ukrainian defenses. That's Artis Pabriks, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Defense for Latvia. The West is providing weapons to Ukraine, but is it really dialed into this war? Or is it simply trying to avoid angering Vladimir Putin? Ambassador Daniel Fried with the Atlantic Council. We shouldn't be in a great hurry to rush to Moscow for, uh, for the sake of a diplomatic solution right now. He says there are certain things Ukraine should not give up. It's a war basically intended to exterminate Ukrainians as a separate people. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The war in Ukraine is at a critical point. The U.S. has given another billion dollars in heavy weapons to Ukraine to defend itself against Russia. Ukraine is saying this is a critical time for them, but not just for them, but for other countries as well. And for some insight on this, we talk with Artis Pabriks. He's the defense minister from Latvia. He's also deputy prime minister. One of the things I'd like to do is to get you to give me your assessment right now of how you feel about where the region is with Finland and Sweden planning to join NATO most likely. Well, um, I believe that the security is improving, um, uh, will improve after Finland and Sweden will join, because that will give us additional possibilities to cooperate in the northern European region. But uh, I think that still uh, our largest attention should be paid to Ukrainian defenses, because very much about European security in general will be determined by the outcome of the war in Ukraine, because our understanding here in the Baltic uh, region in Latvia is that ultimately Ukraine must win this war, and we must do everything possible to make them win this war as soon as possible. There is no other alternatives. I think you said as well, winning the war may have a couple of different looks. So what would winning the war mean? Winning the war would mean that the Russians will be either forced or by their own will will retreat from the occupied territories and they will be ready to accept uh, without humiliation. We don't need to humiliate Russians, but they are ready to accept that they lost this war and accept that they are the faulty, the guilty ones. Because the problem with Russians is that uh, they never really, also in their society, have been ever considering that 
there is any kind of fault or guilt on their side, there are always somebody else guilty, either Americans or Europeans or liberals or Westerners or just somebody else, not them. And uh, on such basis was built all their kind of a societal philosophy because also now we see that uh, problems in Russian society are maybe even deeper than they were with with uh, Germans under the Nazis, because now about 70% of Russians in Russia support Putin's activities because they are brainwashed. They're living in this propaganda bubble, uh, what uh, Kremlin is suggesting so, to them, and uh, it must end. We have nothing, let's say, primordial against Russians, neither here in the region or in Europe, but simply we cannot... Uh, presume there will be a durable peace in Europe if Russia will not lose this war. We are forced now as Europeans and as the West with our, our backs uh, towards the wall. We cannot retreat. So the only chance is to make with our economic might, military support and sanctions against Russia uh, to make Ukraine win. You mentioned as well that you're afraid uh, that there are those that are concerned about Western weakness. And how do you solidify the Western strength and take that weakness away? Well, first of all, everything starts with your uh, heads and thoughts. Uh, also, West made the mistakes as far as the Russian policies in Europe, some other places. And uh, one of the mistakes, for instance, was uh, from the Westerners in Europe that, look, we engage with authoritarian countries, we trade, we deal with them, and then once we are interdependent, then they slowly will become like us. No, they did not become like you. You became like them because you were corrupt, you were buying gas, Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, etc. So uh, there must be a certain principles behind this. And uh, the Western unification means admitting, you know, our own mistakes, where we have been, let's say, uh, not acting rightly, not acting correctly, like, for instance, Russian invasion in Georgia 2008, Russian invasion in Crimea 2014. We know that even after sanctions were installed in place, after annexation of Crimea by Russians, there were still Western countries selling military equipment to Russia, avoiding those sanctions. This is simply double morality. We should clear our house, and then we will be strong again. Mm. So... I asked this question during the panel, but I'll ask you specifically again. Um, when will we know, um, it will, when will we see something tangible from the joining these two countries, joining NATO, uh, Finland and Sweden? When will we see something tangible that will send the message to Russia that this we're here and this NATO is here to send a strong message of deterrence to Russia? How long will that take? Russians already get the message now. They are not stupid. They they read the lips, they read our words. So uh, I think uh, this is what I told in uh, in this conference that uh, I'm a bit disappointed about Swedes and Finns because because you know we were telling them for 30 years to join and then came Putin. He not only abolished COVID, you know, but he also made these two countries to join NATO. That's a great success, and uh, it's uh, will be seen immediately. Madrid summit must take. 
the right steps as far as strengthening the, um, all the east flank of NATO, uh, strengthening military capabilities of Europeans, and our cooperation between Baltic countries on the one side and Sweden and Finland will start immediately as soon as they join, because they are our neighboring countries are very close to us, so we are looking forward to collaborate with them. But there is a very important message also to Americans. Please do not consider that now... Uh, when Sweden and Finland joins NATO, then our request and our uh, security cooperation with the United States should stop. No, American presence in Europe, particularly in our region, is highly crucial because Americans have our trust and Americans have also respect from Russian side. So we very much need your presence and larger cooperation as far as uh, military between such countries as Latvia, for instance, and United States. This is highly crucial. Moving forward, the next five, ten years, what are the most important things to Latvia? Well, um, there's a lot of things to do. Uh, first of all, um, we must improve also our own defenses, our uh, national army, uh, because we are a small country, but um, we got just recently unanimous uh, support from Parliament uh, for my request to increase our defence spending to 2.5% from GDP. Uh, but we are a small country, and which means that we cannot cover all our necessities, for instance, as air defence, uh, because our budget is just about $1 billion. Uh, so, I mean, Systems like Patriot are very expensive, for instance. So we need here at least for a while support from such countries as, as Americans or some other countries. We, of course, uh, need also to um, fulfill all the necessities uh, to host, to be a host nation for also incoming troops. Uh, but in general, uh, we are doing a huge societal work because we are creating a, a so-called total defense system where everybody is involved. Because we are small, we are neighboring country to aggressor state, and we will not take chances. We are ready to defend ourselves, but we need also your hand. That's Artis Pabriks, defense minister from Latvia. Now for some perspective on where this war is going today. June 15th, 2022, we turn to former U.S. Ambassador Daniel Freed, who's currently a wiser family distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council. Ambassador Freed, thank you for taking time to chat with me today. I saw you in Tallinn, Estonia several weeks ago. It's now the 14th of June. And you gave one of the greatest speeches I've ever seen about what we need to do to deal with that war in Ukraine, the causes of it, and essentially where we're going. And I want to congratulate you for that speech. And I would recommend anybody who uh, has the capability to watch it or listen to it. But um, since that time, this war has passed the 100-day mark. Um, it appears to be grinding to what some say may be a halt. I just want to figure out what your thoughts are about where this war is and where you think we might be going. Well, thanks for the good review of the speech. In a sense, that speech took me 40 years to write. Wow. Because I was trying to deal with and address underlying themes in American foreign policy and what motivates us at our best. Not always at our best, but sometimes we are. And then we can get good results. 
Russia's war against Ukraine is a war of imperial conquest. Don't take my word for it. Putin said so. Just the other day, he was talking about Peter the Great, the, the Russian czar. And he, there are a lot of ways to discuss Peter the Great, westernizer, modernizer, builder of the state. But he talked about Peter the Great's war where he took land from Sweden and he conquered more of Ukraine. And then Putin said he was not really conquering, that Peter the Great wasn't really conquering land from Sweden. It was always Russia's land. Well, he gave away the game. His war against Ukraine is a war to increase imperial territory. It's a war of empire. And the fact that the Ukrainians think that they have the right to an independent existence doesn't interest him at all. It's a war basically intended to exterminate Ukrainians as a separate people. It's nasty business. Why does America care? Well, sort of for the same reason we fought against Hitler. We don't want tyrants tramping around Europe starting wars. It's bad for business. It's bad for American values. Um, the cost of supporting Ukraine in its moment of need is high, but it's a lot less high than it would be if Putin keeps going. By his logic, if he can make a claim against territory that used to be part of the Russian Empire, well, there are an awful lot of countries in Europe that used to be part of the Russian Empire. Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, most of Poland, um, Moldova, and countries under Russian domination, well, that's another whole swath of countries between the Baltic Sea and the Black Sea. We don't want a dictator conquering countries in Europe and killing lots of civilians, destroying cities. Uh, Biden isn't wrong that war is bad for the price of oil. It sends it shooting up. That's bad for American consumers which is another way of saying that a peaceful world order based on rules rather than might is good for business, good for America's bottom line, good for peace. So that's what we're dealing with. Now, you asked where the Ukraine war is going. So right. much depends on the battlefield is my short answer. Sorry. That's OK. So looking at the battlefield, um, Got a few questions I want to ask you before we go. I figured we'd take maybe about 10, 15 minutes of your time. But yes, um, looking at the battlefield, what do you see? I see the Russians now continuing to advance in a slow, grinding fashion on, on a small front. That is, when the Russians started out, they were trying to seize all of Ukraine and basically capture Kiev, decapitate the government and run the place. That failed. It just fell apart. Now they're advancing on a small front in the Donbass, in eastern Ukraine. They have the advantage, not in men, but in heavy equipment, artillery, for one thing. And they are pushing back the Ukrainians, not very fast and not very far, but they are pushing them back. The Ukrainians are now saying they need more weapons and the weapons the U.S. has promised, but more of them and faster, and not just from the U.S., but from other countries. 
The Ukrainians have a lot of fight in them, but right now the, the Russians are advancing. As I said, much depends on the battlefield. Will the Russian advance continue? Can the Ukrainians stop it? Will the Russians be able to sustain this offensive? Will the Ukrainians be able to sustain their resistance? I don't know. But the U.S. has some ways to put its finger on the scale. Mm. We can affect the outcome. We can't determine it. I'm not saying that. But we can affect it somewhat, and somewhat may be critical. So that's really our task, to help the Ukrainians fight. Now, they're not asking for American soldiers to save them. Right. This is not like Afghanistan or Iraq, where the Americans are going in. President Biden has said, we're not. I think he's going to hold to that line. In fact, I am confident yeah. he will. The Ukrainians are asking for weapons. That's it. They'll, yeah. they'll do the fighting, they say. Yeah. So, Ambassador, um, you know, Ukraine's getting a lot of help from the U.S. and from other countries. Uh, and yes, as you say, the U.S. can definitely affect the outcome of this war, put its finger on the scale. Um, and so can other countries. One of the key things that I see that may not be um, just me seeing this, I'm not sure, uh, I'm, I'm thinking others might see it as well, there is this concern about whether or not the support for Ukraine might be eroding or there might be some issues with keeping the coalition together. good example of what I'm talking about the other day, President Duda of Poland made a comment regarding um, the leaders of France and Germany, where he talked about them essentially sort of making nice with Putin. And he said, that's ridiculous. He said, nobody made nice to, to Adolf Hitler. Nobody made him feel good about losing that war, about what he was trying to do. And this shouldn't be happening now. You know, I know this is a political statement that he's making, but it seems to me to have some bearing on support for Ukraine. Um, where's your, what are you, what's your thinking on that? My thinking is that President Duda has a point. We shouldn't be in a great hurry to rush to Moscow for, uh, for the sake of a diplomatic solution right now. I'm not against diplomacy. I'm not against negotiations. But pushing the Ukrainians into it now means Let's be honest, pushing them to give up land, pushing them to surrender territory and people to the Russians. Now, there are two problems with this. One is a moral hazard. You better be damn sure you know what you're doing when you give away people and land to, to Russia because they are going to destroy Ukrainian culture and kill Ukrainians or deport Ukrainians that are the carriers of that culture. You don't have to speculate about this. This is what the Russians have been doing in the territory they occupy. So there's a anybody who wants to give away land to Russia has to own the consequences. Secondly, is a deal going to bring peace? Really? It seems to me that in Ru until Russia knows that it cannot advance further, a deal with Russia giving away Ukrainian land is going to be about as effective as the previous attempts to have peace after Putin's first attack on Ukraine in 2014. It'll be a breathing space for Putin to regroup his forces and prepare his next attack. 
Now, I'm not saying don't negotiate ever. I'm saying that right now our task is to help the Ukrainians stop the Russian assault. And our task is to put more pressure on the Russian economy. So President Duda is right. The whole idea that we shouldn't humiliate Russia. Hey, folks, who attacked whom? Who's the aggressor here? Who is killing civilians and destroying cities? My sympathy for the Russians in this situation is under control. Again, I'm not saying don't negotiate. I am saying don't negotiate if that means pushing the Ukrainians into surrender. And the time for negotiations may come, but our job now is to put the Ukrainians in the best possible position for those negotiations. I think the Biden administration, quite honestly, has got it pretty right on this one. You know, they don't seem to be pushing the Ukrainians into negotiations. This is what they say publicly. Biden said so in his op-ed in the New York Times. And this is what I hear from friends in the administration. They're holding the line and good for them. One more thing I'd like to ask you before our time's up. Um, the, the way in which the Biden administration is engaging, and you say they're getting it right, um, there are these moments where it's not clear. Not, we, it's not absolutely certain that they are getting it right. I mean, and, you know, that can be just, you know, the way things are. You don't see a complete picture. They're not going to tell you everything they're doing, and that's a good thing because, you know, you have to keep some things to yourself, especially things as sensitive as this. But given what took place in Afghanistan, given what took place with AUKUS, um, given some other missteps that have taken place, and certainly the beginning of this war a couple of days ago, um, you know, there was this little dust-up between seemingly Ukraine and the U.S. about whether or not Ukraine was on board with what the U.S. was trying to do with in terms of warning them about this. So um, how does the how does the administration, as you say, they're on the right track? How do they stay on it? Well, look, the administration has gotten things mostly right, not all right. Okay, they were wrong about the um, military outcome at first. They thought the Russians would be in Kiev in 72 hours. So they got that one wrong. And the certainly you've cited examples of, let's say, foreign policy mistakes and the disaster in Afghanistan. So uh, I'm not trying to be, I'm not a spokesman for the Biden administration, but I think that they have um, mostly gotten Ukraine right. They have stepped up on the weapons deliveries. If you ask the Ukrainians, they would say, well, that's good, but they need to do more and faster. And I might agree. I get it. But the, the Biden administration has held the line and is resisting some calls from Europe to push Ukraine into negotiations prematurely. So that's right. I worry, and I thought this is where your question was going, I worry more about um, a little bit about the American left, but a lot more about the American hard right, the Trumpist right, that seems to be sympathetic to Vladimir Putin and his war of aggression. And those Americans who say, we don't have a real dog in this fight, why should we care? You know, we got problems at home. Well, the fact is, America learned the hard way in the 20th century. Then you can ignore wars outside your borders, but those wars will come to hit, to bite you. 
And you have to distinguish between the wars that will bite you and the wars that don't. But this is one war that will bite us. It's a war in Europe. So we have to hold the line, I think. That's exactly right, sir. And, you know, I guess if anybody had any questions about whether this was, you know, similar to other mistakes the U.S. has made in the past, all they need to do is just read some history, certainly around the World War I era, and they will understand exactly it. And certainly also as well, 1939, you know. Um, but again, that speech that you gave in Tallinn, Estonia in the middle of May sums all of this up. And it gives a brilliant forecast as to where we're going. Uh, and you today you. putting us on essentially track for where things are and what needs to be done to make make this go the right way. Uh, it's, it's great. Thank you so much again for taking time to chat. Thanks for the opportunity. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. According to the IAEA Director General, they've completed one of its major tunnels. Is North Korea on the verge of another nuclear test? So I think a, a nuclear test, a seventh nuclear test is imminent. When do you think this happens? Days, weeks, months, but you just said uh, it, imminent. What does that mean? I, I, I think it could be it could be days, but my, my, if I were a betting person, I'd say one or two weeks. Ambassador Joe Detrani, former U.S. envoy to the six-party talks with North Korea. Uh, I think North Korea is on the cusp of just moving forward with that nuclear test. And what's the significance of this seventh test? Uh, it's, it's major, JJ. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans. Come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.